What is freaking good, folks? It's Jack. It's Malia. Welcome back to Not My Type again for another episode where we uncover some interesting information. If you haven't realized, um, we are continually going deeper into the roots of the Enneagram. So if you didn't hear episode three, where we talked about stances, you're definitely gonna need to go back and listen to that before you engage with this content. Definitely. And if you didn't hear episode three, go back to episode two, which is where we cover the overview of the types. <laughs> but yeah, so today we're talking about the theory of object relations and mm. the way it affects the types, how it forms the types. And this is like the deepest stuff we're gonna cover. It's like yeah. really, it goes way, way down. And last time we kind of set up this a little bit at the end. And so for those of you who definitely went back and listened to the last episode. Good job. What is object relations and how does it relate to stances? Why did we do it that way? Okay, so object relations is this theory about the way that we as humans relate to the, the parental objects. Mm. So what that means is that there is a nurturing caregiver who is stereotypically the mother. It doesn't mean it's actually physically your mom. Um, right. But there's this sense of nurture that we all need. Everyone needs nurture. And there's this sense of support or guidance that is stereotypically the father. Mm. Um, and that's that function of protection. And we all need protection and guidance. Um, but when we perceive a failure from that nurturing object or from the protective object, that ends up forming a wound that then forms the ego and forms the neurosis from there. So it's sort of mm -hmm. like a series of little root issues that, that get bigger and worse. And yeah, but so this, this theory basically suggests that there are wounds that occur really, really early mm. in a child's life, and that's what forms type. And obviously you could say that these are like a mixture of nature and nurture, that there are genetic predispositions we have to perceiving certain wounds. Right. But there are also experiential factors mm -hmm. that might change someone's type. I think a lot of people in the Enneagram community would theorize that type is all nature, that like everyone's born with a type and we just like grow into that type. And I suppose you could argue that, but personally, I really think it's a mixture. That there mm. are genetic predispositions, but at the end of the day, anything can be changed by the experience we have growing up. And, and like you said, it doesn't have to be, I mean, we're going to be talking and using the words a lot of like nurturing caregiver or supporting guiding caregiver, yeah. um, even, you know, mom and dad. But it, but like you said, it doesn't have to be your literal mom or dad. And it even could be switched. Like your dad could be the, the nurturing caregiver. The nurturing caregiver. Or, you know, you've said before, like, it could be a coach that you had for a sports or something yeah, like for that. For a Someone, supportive caregiver. Yeah. At yeah. the end of the day, these wounds are so nuanced and they, they could happen in a split second. They could happen over time. Mm. So there's no one formula. Like, we're going to be talking about, like, metaphorically mommy issues and daddy issues. But that right. doesn't mean that you actually, like, oh, you hate your mom if you're an, in the aggressive stance. Right. You know, what, what really is going on is that there's a perceived wound. Mm. And perceived if, is really important. Even if we don't realize that we perceive that wound, we do perceive the wound and the ego develops to compensate for that wound. Yeah. To either ease, to, to ease the pain, in a sense. Mm. That's a good way to say it. Or distract from it. So, like, there were stances for, you know, when we're talking about stances, there's withdrawn and things like that. So, what are the words that we're going to be using okay. for so, this next one? Yeah, so we talked about the aggressive stance, um, which is three, seven, and eight, and they're all repressing the heart. Mm. And this is what's so interesting, yeah. is that the theory of object relations sort of explains why they repress the heart. Um, because the heart space is that space of identity. Like you look mm. at the heart types, twos, threes, and fours, and they're all concerned with some sort of identity validation and attention. Um, but the heart space is, is taken care of by that nurturing caregiver. So the heart wound occurs when we feel we haven't been nurtured. Mm. Um, and so three, sevens, and eights all perceive some sort of wound from the nurturing caregiver. Likewise, the dependent stance, ones, twos, and sixes, experience some sort of wound from the supportive caregiver. Right. So there's this lack of support. Um, which, which correlates to what we were talking exactly. about, which is like it's going outside of yourself 
for this guidance and this, you know, losing your head, you want to gain the head back. Yeah, and, and that's the key is that the heart, like we were just talking about, represents identity. Mm. So that, like ideally, if there were no wounds and we couldn't, we couldn't form these neuroses, uh, we would feel seen and loved and known uh, right. by the nurturing caregiver. And we would feel supported and cheered on by the protective caregiver. And so the, the function, ideally, of the nurturing caregiver is to make us feel human and make us feel loved. Mm. And the ideal function of the supportive caregiver, caregiver is to encourage us to go after our own plans and goals yeah. and to say, yes, you can do it. Yes, we mm -hmm. can cheer you on. But for the d dependent types who have a wound surrounding the protective or supportive caregiver, they all have some struggle going after what they want mm. because there's a wound there. There's something interrupting the right. ability to go after what I want and what I'm going for. So they want other people to validate their needs and wants for them. Yeah, it, there's, there's an outsourcing like right. we talked about. Um, but yeah, there's this, there's this other referencing for the dependent types and that's because they've repressed the head. So mm. the repression of the head is because of a supportive wound. And then for the withdrawn types, they have an issue with both that's juicy. Both caregivers. <laughs> so re really, um, you can hear it talked about as the belonging function, mm. which is sort of the combination of the nurturing and protective caregiver together, which is why the withdrawn types uh, repress the body. Right. So that you could argue there's some, there's some issue with belonging that all three of them have. Um, but if you think about it in another way, if the nurturing caregiver represents the ideal heart and the protective or supportive caregiver represents the ideal head, the withdrawn types who have issues with both sort of m like merge those two together mm. and then have an issue with being and have an issue mm. with presence, which is why all three of those types do less than they should. Right. Wow, because they feel like maybe they're not supported and they're and also not nurtured. Yeah, and, and there are three dominant affects that respond differently to these wounds. Mm. So let's, let's just dive right in. Are yeah, okay, it? this is so good. Yeah, I, I'm just gonna say, um, don't take it personally, buckle down. <laughs> <laughs> if you think you know your type, um, this might help you understand a little more, more mm. deeply. And if you don't know your type, this should really, I think object relations is such a great theory because it helps illustrate how different the types really are at their yeah. core, even though they might have similar behaviors. Right. So I think it's always best, I think it's best to start with the frustration triad. All right. So the frustration triad are sevens, ones, and fours. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that these three types all are frustrated with the wound that occurs. They feel wounded by one of the caregivers or both, and their response is, you're failing me, and I don't want to be disappointed anymore, so I'm going to go take care of it myself. I'm mm -hmm. going to go do this for myself. Um, so there's this quick abandonment of the parental functions, though it's not literally like you ran away from home, necessarily. Right. But what it means is that I don't want to be disappointed, so I'm going to do it myself. Mm -hmm. um, so let's start with sevens. I think that's a, the yeah, best spot yeah. to start. So I think when we're describing that nurturing wound, um, it's, it's helpful to picture uh, a really young child, like a really, like a little baby. Mm. And let's say, I, I heard this content from another podcast before. It was really helpful to think about it, but let's say that the baby is getting their diaper changed or is being fed, um, and for some reason the mother isn't paying attention to them. Mm. So they're smiling up at the mama, waiting for her to see me and, and know me and like me, um, and there's just this, this, this miss. Uh, where the child doesn't feel seen. And so three sevens and eights are all experiencing this nurturing wound that they don't feel seen for some reason. So the trend is that for three sevens and eights, the aggressive stance, they all have this issue with the nurturing wound and not feeling seen. Mm -hmm. But sevens, as part of the frustration triad, feel that lack of nurture and say, you don't see me and you never will. So I'm gonna go see myself, essentially. I'm gonna mm. go take care of myself and nurture myself. 
So Malia came up with this metaphor one time that like the frustration types are just trying to like put together the food of life. They're trying to figure out the recipe of life and whatever. Um, but it's sort of like the recipe and the instructions are like what we gather from the supportive caregiver mm -hmm. and that the ingredients are what we gather from the nurturing caregiver. Right. But the seven feels this lack of ingredients. They're not given the ingredients. So I have the instructions because the protective caregiver hasn't wounded them. Mm -hmm. And even if they have, they don't, that's not where the ego they forms They don't receive it. They, yeah, like, so like you can have a crappy dad or not be supported or protected as a seven. But it just means that the ego hasn't developed around that wound. Mm -hmm. The ego develops around the nurturing wound. So the seven is like, well, I have this recipe for how to go about life, but I don't have the ingredients. So I need to go gather what I actually need. And this is a trend you'll see for sevens and ones and fours, mm -hmm. is that these three frustration types have a sense of what they needed and they didn't get it. And that's why they're frustrated and irritated. So it doesn't mean they're actively irritated all the time, but there's this sense of lack that I know what I need, I don't have it, so I'm gonna go take care of that myself. So the seven is sort of like going to the grocery store to get the ingredients, but they don't know what's on the list. So it's right. like, well, I'll just get everything. I'll just get all these things that might be helpful. And in the meantime, they almost overindulge because- No, they absolutely overindulge. There's, right, yeah, there's no that, almost about it. <laughs> um, and, and they feed their vice of gluttony by, but almost in a spiteful way. Because they're like, you weren't there to give me the right ingredients in moderation. So I get to do whatever I want, really. Exactly. And there's this, like, it's so unconscious. These wounds, because mm. this is the deepest part of the Enneagram, these processes aren't things you're necessarily going to, like, feel. Right. You know, like, you might not actually think, oh, yeah, that's my life. But the root issue is way down deep. Um, and so for the seven, there's this lack there's this lack of nurture. And that's why that, that leads to their central lie, which is I'm not going to be taken care of. Mm. I'm not going to have the nurture I need. So I'm going to go nurture myself. And, and that is what makes them look so happy-go-lucky and so adventuresome because they want to be constantly stimulated. It's this constant sense of like, I have what I need, I have what I need, I have what I need. But it's never enough to satisfy them because yeah. the internalized mantra is that I don't have enough food, essentially. And that's why I must be a glutton to keep eating, keep eating, keep eating. Mm -hmm. So that's the wound for the seven. And likewise, I said that threes and eights also experience that nurturing wound. So you'll see that baby image in a moment. Um, but let's move to one. And so this, this wound from the protective and supportive caregiver for the type one is the same wound that twos and sixes experience. Mm -hmm. And that's, they feel a lack of support. So it happens later in life. It happens later for the child um, than the nurturing wound is. Because nurture, you know, like every child is taken care of. Every baby's fed. That's the first thing that happens. Yeah. But that need for support doesn't really show up until we start trying to do things, you know. Mm -hmm. And a child can't really walk or do anything until they're a toddler. So I think it's helpful to picture this, this toddler who has something they're, they're going for. Like maybe they see some food on the counter they really want to go get, and they're trying to stand up, and they're just learning how to walk because they want to go grab it off the table. Mm -hmm. um, it's a plan that they've developed in yeah, their mind. Yeah, it's a plan. And that's the point. This is where the wound occurs, and this yeah. is why the mind is repressed, because they're toddling toward that food that they really want, um, but they can feel the unsteadiness. And they look to daddy for some sort of support. Mm -hmm. They look to the supportive function to say, yes, you can do it. I believe in you. Go get what you want. And he's not paying attention. Mm -hmm. He's just, he's occupied with something else or he's occupied with someone else. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, they feel unsupported. And the one being a frustration type, that's their dominant affect is this frustration. Yeah. Their response is, okay, screw you. You're not going to help me and you're never going to help me. So I'm going to figure out how to get there myself. Mm -hmm. So everything for the one then becomes about self-guiding and self-supporting, which is why you notice their ego is built around this big idea of knowing the right way and the wrong way. And ones typically, like in neurosis, are very unhealthily concerned with this idea that they know what's up, they know how things should be done, mm -hmm. they know the way to go, and everyone else doesn't because they have labored so hard to find the right way. 
And so in this process of trying to figure out how to get themselves to the table to, to get that food that's on there, um, they lose sight of what they actually want. And it's no longer about that food on the table. It's mm -hmm. now about their own sense of guidance. Mm -hmm. And they become obsessed with it. So this is the thing for ones, twos, and sixes that they have all lost sense of their own, their own wants and needs and, and goals. Their Which own is very agendas. different from the seven. Yeah. yeah because the seven is like, absolutely, I know what I want, and I'm going to go get it. I suppose I shouldn't say needs necessarily, but their own wants and goals for mm -hmm. one, two, and sixes. That, that agenda, my own plan in my head, is really far away. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we should go to the four, yeah. the last type in the frustration triad. So the four being withdrawn is building an ego around both wounds. Mm -hmm. So they're frustrated with both the protective and nurturing caregiver. So they have that baby experience and they have that toddler experience. Right, um, wow. <laughs> maybe it's not literal, but there's yeah. this sense of um, I'm going to be disappointed by everything in the world. You know, mm -hmm. sevens anticipate a nurturing disappointment. Ones anticipate a guidance disappointment. But fours are anticipating both. Mm -hmm. And so because everything in the world is going to disappoint them, that's why you get the sense from fours that they exist separately. Because nothing in the world is going to satisfy them. And there's this anticipation that everything I engage with will not actually be enough to nurture or support me. Mm. And that's why fours are like these ultimate idealists who are yearning for something but not do anything doing anything to get there, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Um, and there's this kind of overt sense of disappointment. You see, you see the disappointment in ones and sevens sometimes too, but that's, fours feel it the most because they're disappointed in both spaces. Mm. Um, and this disappointment is like chronic and it's really sad for all of them. The seven is denying their sadness. The one is sort of wrangling that sadness to make it productive. Right. But the four is like, has no choice but to sit in it because they don't feel like there's anywhere in the world they can engage that won't, will not disappoint them. Everything is going to disappoint them. Mm -hmm. and, and so there's this like otherworldly elitism that you get from fours, this idea that I'm separate than everyone else and no one else gets me. Because if the world were to get them, they would have to acknowledge the wound. They mm. would have to actually deal with that disappointment again and again and again. So they just continually move themselves away and keep moving deeper and deeper under the ocean so that they don't have to come back up for air. I think what's a really interesting point to think about is the fact that each points on this frustration object relations triad are taking place in different spaces that we've already talked about, which is the body, the heart, and the head. Yeah, that's great. That's, no, it goes back to the same idea of stances. You know, remember how stances like fours, fives, and nines are all withdrawn, but one's a heart type, one's a head type, one's a body type. Mm -hmm. The same is true for these object relations triads, is that there's one from each center. And so even though they're experiencing wounds from different caregivers and they're responding with the frustration triad, they're responding in different ways because they're responding with different pieces that they're connected to. So the head, the body, and the heart. So the seven is saying, in my head, I know what I want. I'm going to go get it. The one says, I don't know where. I feel in my body what the yeah, ideal is. Yeah, I feel is. in my body what the ideal is, so I'm going to work. I sense it. Yeah, yeah. to work There's to get it. There's an intuitive it. sensation. And then the four says, I, I have this whole heart issue. I feel what's lacking. Right. And I think that's a really interesting point, is that the frustration triad is all dealing with it differently. Like, the seven has this mental sense of lack, and that's why they want constant mental stimulation. Mm -hmm. That's what feels like nurture. And for the one, there's this sense of bodily lack. There's this doing lack. Oh, mm. this hasn't been done. I need to do it. And that's why you get this idea from the one that I need to correct everything. And people want to describe it modern day as like this idealist reformer or like hero who's coming to fix what's wrong and there is this sense of justice that the one wants to carry out but in neurosis 
it's just this irritation with the whole world mm. that everything is not being done correctly and I need to show the world how it ought to be done because I have taken the time to figure out the way to go. I figured out whether to go left or right, whether to go up or down. So this, this sense of self-guidance that they've worked so hard to, to do um, has really been exhausting for them. But because it was such a process and they had to do it on their own because they abandoned that protective function, they, they now are really convinced that it's the right way to do it. And so even though ones often are very critical of themselves, there's this internalized narrative that I actually know the right way. And then for fours, that because they're constantly frustrated with both the supportive and nurturing caregiver, there's this distinct lack in, in all of the world. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of give up. That's the point. They don't want to engage with the world in any way because it's always going to fail them. I think it's also important to note that this frustration triad has one type from each stance. Mm-hmm. And that, remember, that's why the wounds are different. So the seven is dealing with a nurturing wound because they're in the aggressive stance, and therefore the heart is repressed. And the one is dealing with a supportive wound because they're in the dependent stance, and therefore the mind is repressed. Mm-hmm. And because the four is in the withdrawn stance, the body's repressed because both of those functions have failed them. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really interesting to note. And you'll see that same pattern, is that in the rejection triad, which we're about to talk about, there's one aggressive type, one dependent type, and one withdrawn type as well. So the rejection triad. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. Um, so eights, twos, and fives are what comprise the rejection triad. This is a completely different affect. So that first affect we talked about is frustration, the response of irritation that sevens, ones, and fours all feel. Um, And then they abandon what they think will disappoint them. Mm -hmm. Eights, twos, and fives are not concerned with disappointment, they're concerned with rejection. So what that looks like is they experience the same wounds, the same wound as those other types, but their response is a different feeling and a different affect. So where should we start? I guess we'll start with the eight because yeah. it's an aggressive type, like we started with seven last time. So the eight feels that same nurturing wound, that they are a little baby being taken care of, but they're not being seen. And mm. they don't really know why they're not being seen. Um, so where the seven says, I'm not seen and you're never gonna see me, so right. I'm gonna go self-nurture. The eight, the eight feels that same wound and says, I don't feel seen, I don't feel nurtured, and you're right not to nurture me. So I'm going to completely remove my need for nurture. Hmm. So the eight essentially severs one of their legs. I think that's a helpful way to talk about it. Or you could say, it's like they've ripped out their heart. So by ripping out this heart that's been wounded, because the heart is where they feel the wound, yeah. because of the nurturing wound. And I think it's, most, it's really important to note that it's not simply the wound that's hurtful, but- It's the sense that someone the, wounded yeah, them. Yeah, the being yeah. wounded by the nurturer. They're like, well, just for you, I'm going to say, I don't need that. I don't need that it, it, So really, it is a, like they're rejecting a part of themselves. Yeah. They're rejecting that need within themselves for nurture because it, it kind of gets them back. You know, it gets, yeah. it gets the nurturing caregiver back. It's and a like we've talked thing. about with the eight before, they're kind of always looking for some sort of leverage, some sort of power. And the fact that they fear betrayal so much is they, they almost feel betrayed by this, by this caregiver. And so they're going to get rid of the part of them that reminds them of that betrayal. Exactly, yeah, so it's not like that they don't actually have any nurturing needs. They've Mm -hmm. just told themselves, I don't have any nurturing need. So when you rip out your heart and say there's no part of me that can feel um, or that needs to feel or that needs any of your gentleness or care, Mm -hmm. um, what you're left with is a person who is using their body, their legs and, and and their arms and their body to move around in the world based only on guidance from the head. So that's why the eight has clear goals, clear wants, clear agendas, but they aren't really taking in any heart space information. Hmm. And so that kind of makes them the most cutthroat and, and cold. It's frightening um, because they're unwilling to acknowledge the wound yeah. in the heart 
and so the whole heart has to be thrown away. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens, is when, when the wound isn't around the supportive caregiver, that's the only thing you have to fall back on. Yeah. The only and leg to stand on is that supportive function. So you become more, that's why they also look most masculine. Like exactly. Like there's an archetype. Because they've over-identified with the, that father figure mm -hmm. that says, I will support, I will protect, I will guide. And because of that, all eights have this protective energy because that's the space they feel comfortable in that isn't wounded. So yeah. they are essentially taking on that role and acting like, oh, I never needed to, to even be slightly associated with a nurturing role. Because right. th that's where the nurturing wound is. And of course, like this isn't conscious. R remember, like these wounds aren't conscious and the responses aren't conscious most mm -hmm. of the time. I mean, I suppose you could argue for some people it is, but most of the time I think there's just this sense of a miss that the parent hasn't necessarily failed you literally, but as a baby, you might feel that wound and you don't ever learn that, you know? Mm -hmm. You don't ever learn that that's the actually that what happened. The way you cope with yeah. those wounds. And so the eight has thrown away their heart. So the two is essentially doing the inverted version of that. So as a dependent type, just mm -hmm. like ones, they feel that lack of support and guidance. So let's say they're walking toward that food on the counter that they want to get, mm -hmm. and they feel the unsteadiness of their own legs. And they look to that supportive caregiver to say, yes, go get that food. I'm proud of you for walking. You're doing a great job. He's not paying attention. No one's there. So like the eight, the two rejects the part of them that's been wounded. Mm. So they feel unsupported in, in their own pursuit of goals and wants. And they say, actually, I never wanted that. I never wanted the food. So they go back down and sit on the couch with mommy and right. get her attention. Um, but they don't go after what they want. Mm. So the two's ego, just like the inversion, inverted version of the eight, is over-identified with the function that doesn't feel wounded. Mm -hmm. So the two has to s just nurture everything in the world because that sense of protection and guidance they have so dissociated themselves from. They reject in the places that they feel rejected. Exactly. So they've thrown away their own needs for um, accomplishing their own goals. Mm. And that's, I think, why you see this intense guilt for twos with actually going after what they want because they've convinced themselves that I'm only allowed to nurture. So if I'm right. doing anything that exists outside of that realm of nurture and moves into my own headspace, mm. I'm doing something wrong. Right. And in the same sense with the eight, the vulnerability of the heart, they have so dissociated themselves from. Mm. So it feels like if I'm being weak and vulnerable and acknowledging that I need support, not, not support, but nurture, um, that's wrong. I shouldn't be doing that. Right. So they dissociate that weak part. Now I have a question regarding this because the eight and the two, you know, we often see them as so different, but really, there's they're, great similarity. They're doing the same thing, just like the With inverted. With yeah. um, And we've talked about the way that that kind of impacts the way that they engage with the world because, you know, the eight becomes more uh, more of the supporter type because it's the only thing they have to stand on. Overprotecting. Yeah, yeah. overprotecting. And then the two becomes over-nurturing because that's the only thing they have to stand on. And it makes but, them so extreme. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's almost like you rip that other part of the identity and that's all that's left. But how would you say that impacts the way that they're able to receive those things that they're rejecting? They can't receive. That's the point. In neurosis, right. they cannot receive. Even if the wound they like felt like they never received, that wound causes them to not be able to receive currently. Exactly. And so you'll notice for, for twos, because it's like they've cut their head off, you know, mm -hmm. where the eight rips their heart out. The two, being in the dependent stance with a repressed head, has thrown their head away. So then they're mm. just this body with a bleeding heart walking around saying, I need to give, I need to give myself. And I don't have any wants, I don't have any needs. Exactly. So when you try and encourage a two, maybe not like you literally, but when a two is attempting to go after their own wants and agendas, mm. they are forced to confront the wound in the head. 
Right. You know? And so the idea is, is really like, I would sooner wow. sever my yeah. own head than feel the fact that I was wounded there, that I mm. wasn't supported and guided. And, and the opposite is true for the eight, that this, I would sooner rip out my own heart than feel mm. that wound there. And, and because of that, the egos become so extreme. The eight becomes so protective and so masculine. Mm -hmm. And the two becomes so nurturing and so feminine. So any engagement with that masculine world for the two is a threat to the ego. So right. when you try and offer support and guidance to the two, it's like, I don't need that. I don't need your support and guidance. I'm actually busy nurturing the whole world. Mm. And when you try and offer nurture and sweet attention and gentleness to the eight, it's a threat to the ego. It's right. no, I don't need that. I've never needed that. So really what they've done is just lied to themselves and other people mm -hmm. because that's the way to get back at the person who wounded them. Mm. That's the way to get back at that function. That it's, it's like sort of so twisted and hidden but the two is getting revenge on the supporter who didn't support them by right. saying, I never needed your support. And the eight is getting revenge on the nurturer who didn't nurture them by saying, I never needed your nurture. Yeah, and kind of thinking back to the frustration triad, I almost attribute the word spitefulness to that, whereas revenge is... Revenge is so key for yeah. the rejection triad. And that's the difference, is that the frustration triad, it says, I'm going to go get it on my own and not pay any mind, but the... Rejection triad says, I'm going to become the other thing. The part that wasn't hurt. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And the thing that I didn't receive, I'm going to throw away and say no, right. I needed it. And so you see these really extreme responses for the rejection types. And that's why the eight looks like the most angry of the body types. Mm. Because that angry space, that protective angry space is Vengeful. all they have. <laughs> yeah. And for the two, they look, they look more hardy and more emotional and more flowery in their emotional mm. existence than the three or the four even does because that's the only space that they can exist in without feeling the wound. The problem is for the five, being a withdrawn type, that means that both functions are where the wound is felt. Right, so they rip them out, they rip both out. Exactly, but, but to do that effectively, you, it's like you're cutting off your body, because remember the, the five right. is repressing the body. So they're not doing anything. So when the body's repressed, you're not doing as you should. Hmm. So it's sort of like you look at the four, you know, the four is frustrated. This is a good comparison because they're because they're a frustration type. They feel both those wounds, so they don't sever the body. They just try and take care of their own body, but they don't know how to do it well. They don't know how to nurture well by themselves, and they don't know how to support well by themselves. So it's anemic. It's it's weak, and that's why they can't do well because they're mm. trying to, but they keep getting disappointed because they never actually learned how. Um, but for the five, they're just saying, "I've never needed to do. I've never needed to engage with the world," um, and that's why there's this distinct sense from the five that I don't have any needs. You know. Like the, the two mm -hmm. might say, I don't have supportive needs, but they still have nurturing needs that are evident. And the eight might say, I don't have nurturing needs, but I still have guiding needs. I need to guide you, you know? Mm -hmm. And the two says, I need to support, I need to love you and nurture you. Um, but the five is acting like, I don't need anything from the world and the world shouldn't need anything from me. So they've severed their, their body and they're just this floating head. And that's why you hear these like overly rational robotic descriptions of the five sometimes. Mm. Um, because that only space that, it, that they can exist in that doesn't feel wounded is actually by not existing. Yeah. And that's why they're just as separate feeling as the four, you know? They don't identify with the separateness like the four does, but right. they are so disengaged from the world and so distinctly different. And that's kind of why fives are weird, you know? I was about to say, like, how do you live like that? Because you're cutting off, but like if we've attributed in, in this conversation, life to be one of those two things, you know, you're nurturing, you're protecting, you're both or you're neither. Like, you, you don't what, have any space where you can engage. Yeah, what does that look like? It, it looks like the extreme separateness that you see from the five. 
but that's content. Like I'm separate, but I'm like cool with exactly, it. Exactly, because they've told themselves, I don't need that. Right. I don't need that. And that's the thing with the frustration types. There is this distinct sense of, I needed this. You didn't give it to me. Mm -hmm. I'm pissed. I'm going to do it myself. But for the rejection types, it's a denial. It's a, I actually never needed this. That's a really good way to say that. Yeah. And for the five, they, they have made this pact with the world that because I'm not demanding anything of you, Mm -hmm. because I haven't expressed any need for support or nurture, mm. you're not allowed to demand anything from me. Right. And that's why fives can look so unrelational, even though they are in this relational triad. Like, ultimately, fives, eights, and twos are all concerned with relationship and the rejection that might occur there. But eights are kind of doing that in a really violent, angry way, and twos are doing that in a sweet, saccharine way. But fives are doing it with absence. That's how they're avoiding rejection. Mm -hmm. Is that by, ne by never engaging with the world's needs for them and never having any needs for the world to, to support or take care of. Right. Um, they have made this pact to exist in neutrality. Mm. And so they just become these observers of the world that watch as it passes them by and study it rationally because they can, it's like they're just ahead, you know. They've severed the whole body because the body's repressed. So they're not doing anything, but they are learning about it and they're watching and it's intriguing. And yeah. All these things, you know? And that's so interesting. I know this one five that kind of, like you said, if I don't take the world's needs and I don't give the world's needs, I'm good. But I think there's a piece of that where uh, th this one five, he not only says, I don't need anything, but he projects onto other people. You don't need anything. Yeah, because we all see the world from our perspective and think that everyone else sees it the same way. Mm -hmm. So the five by saying, I made a pact to never ask anything of you, you shouldn't ask anything of me. Because yeah. if I can do it, you can also do it. If I can exist in this separate rational like floating brain in a jar existence mm. <laughs> you should give me the, the same respect hmm. and it's actually kind of really cold and i think that's why fives are are viewed and stereotyped as like these really awkward people right because there's no space in the world where they can engage without acknowledging the fact that they've been wounded and don't feel mm. cap like capable to to engage in a way that's like sufficient i guess you know you you hear a lot of similarities between fives and sixes sometimes because they're both head types concerned with their level of capability. But fives don't have the panic of sixes because they're just not engaging in the spaces where they don't feel safe, you know? Mm. Whereas the six, being a dependent type who has to use their body all the time and engage, they're very aware of their actions and the impact of their actions and the risks that they're taking. But the mm. five, being withdrawn, is processing reality late. So they're just processing it in a rational, heady way that never asks anything of the world um, and never gives anything to the world, which is why that sense of greed and avarice, that central sin, is rooted in the lie that my needs are too much for others yeah. and others' needs are too much for me, so I'd rather just not do anything. Hmm. So what's the, what's the last triad? So Malia was sort of hinting at this last episode, but we're going to jump into the attachment triad. This is the last affect, um, the last emotional response to these wounds, and I think it is really counterintuitive and maybe this is because I'm I'm in the rejection triad mm. um, it it makes sense and it also doesn't um, yeah so the attachment types are three six and nine and they're all dominant and repressed in their same respective center mm -hmm. so for the three being in the aggressive stance they feel that wound from the nurturing caregiver so there's this sense of I'm not seen um, but where the eight would say I never needed to be seen and where the seven would say I'm gonna go nurture myself the three is sort of like, hmm, why am I not being nurtured? I've been nurtured before, I've been seen before. Mm -hmm. So th these attachment types are perceiving these functions, these protective and nurturing functions to be unchanging. 
And so you're not going to change. Essentially, the three is like, you're not going to, if I stay the same way, you're not going to see me. So I need to change something right. that I'm doing or being in order for you to see me. So then the third ego is all built around this idea of I have to be seen no matter the cost. And that's why threes are built around the sin of vanity. You know, the third mm. neurosis is the sin of vanity because no matter what, I'm going to keep adapting myself and shape shifting until I feel seen, which of course never actually occurs completely. Mm -hmm. But they stay attached to that nurturing energy. So that's why they're called attachment types because they are latching on to the space where the wound is. But can you explain the difference between like latching on to the wound and over identifying with getting it yourself? Like you said, the seven and the three. Can you talk more on that? Yeah, so the difference is that the seven is is blaming the parent in a way, not consciously. And it's not trying to become more like, it, like attaching to the, to the wound isn't becoming more like that. Well, the three isn't attaching to the wound. Right. They're attaching to the center that is wounded. Okay, so this that's is where important. It's, this is where it's trippy, is like, like we said, the seven is disappointed and says, screw you, I'm gonna take care of it myself. Mm -hmm. The three is not really, like they might blame others in their adulthood, but in this really like baby-like state, the idea that's so subconscious is, you're not seeing me, I must be doing something wrong. I must be doing something. You blame something that, yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like a, I need to adapt what I'm doing to mm. be seen. And so for the three, to stay attached to that nurturing energy, but not feel the nurturing wound, they must create a fake heart. Mm. Um, and this substitutionary heart is where they receive all this praise and affirmation and the accolades and the trophies that they are looking for and, and vying after. Um, but by using this fake heart, you lose the sense of who you really are. Mm. And, and you'll notice this theme for sixes and nines as well, is that they are adapting so much to receive what they've stayed attached to that they lose sense of their own individuation. And so the three is telling themselves that they know who they really are with the fake heart. But the real heart is actually their true identity and it's just really far away and they've shoved it in the closet. And the idea is like, hmm, maybe I actually could be truly nurtured and satisfied with my nurture but that would force me to confront the wound. So mm -hmm. I'm gonna busy myself and distract myself and busy that r true heart with a lot of tasks. And so this is a real theme. For three, sixes, and nines, nines to stay attached to what they need, they all have to do a whole lot of nonsense. <laughs> and so three, sixes, and nines can all be doers in a way that's sort of like obvious. They're all like attending to all the practical issues in life mm. um, and that's, that's why they all can look like workaholics, actually, sometimes. Even nines who are doing repressed, but they're also doing dominant, you know? Yeah. To, to keep that true wound at bay and be preoccupied with the fake center, I have to be doing a whole lot of things so that I don't have to think about it. So let's go on to the six. Yeah, so the six is repressing the head, mm. but is also dominant in the head. Yeah. So remember, as a dependent type, there's this sense of, I can't go after what I want because I wasn't supported. Mm-hmm. The one became frustrated with that lack of support and said, I'm gonna self-guide my way to what I want, right. but loses sight of what they really want. The two says, I never wanted anything. I never had my own dreams and goals and visions and, and wants mm -hmm. and needs. So that chapter's closed. But for the six, being head dominant, they're very aware of this lack of a plan. So they're very concerned with getting a plan and being given an agenda um, and, a, and a plan of action, a course of action. And because they're head dominant, but also head repressed, they don't trust themselves mm. to make that own plan. They're that little child that's toddling toward the food on the table and they feel the unsteadiness beneath their legs. But they look at daddy and he's not there saying like, yes, you can do it. Go get that food, I believe in you. Um, and instead of giving up, they say, 
it, mu- it must be my fault. I must not be doing what I should be doing to get the support I need. Mm. So the child then turns, they're, they're turning their attention to, to doing whatever they have to do to get that support. And that's yeah. why the six is so enamored with this idea of safety and this idea of protection and guidance because everything is about garnering that support that so much so that they lose sight of the food on the table. Mm-hmm. It's no longer about getting to the food. They're, n- they're now just so upset about the fact that they weren't being guided there. Yeah. So their focus is now on, I need to get the support that I want, regardless of even if I get the food in the end. Exactly. And, and that obsession is occurring later than the nurturing wound. Remember how the nurturing wound right. with the baby occurs earlier. So this toddler, this toddler wound with support is happening later. And there are a lot of different support systems. There are a lot of different people you might be garnering support from, you know, like it might have been daddy that you wanted support from, but also maybe mommy was there, you know, maybe there was your older sibling. You know, there are a lot of different characters that play that supportive role in our lives. And because of that, and the six is adapting their behavior, no matter what, to try Mm. and get that support from that supporter, you see this broad range of behavior for sixes because they learn to be really maybe violent and aggressive and like throw a fit or a tantrum right. to get there support. Right, there are different ways. Or maybe they just act like they don't need help even, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe the best way to get support is to say, I never needed support, you know. Or maybe it's to just start crying or it's to ask nicely. So there's this broad range of behavior. So sixes can look like really submissive or really unsubmissive mm-hmm. and rebellious. You know, like there's just this huge issue with authority because the ultimate authority figure traditionally is that fatherly type, mm-hmm. you know, that has the final say. And since he's wounded there, like th- that's where the wound is, um, the six is focused on having that support from that ultimate authority figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for the attachment triad, it's specifically been helpful for me to recognize that inward, like that turn to your, to yourself and this idea that I must be not doing something or there is something I could be doing to receive this thing I didn't get. And which is different than all of the other triads because rejection said, you know, I I'm didn't gonna, need it. I'm gonna, I didn't need it. The frustration says, I'm going to get it myself to spite you. And those kind of seem more negative towards the caregiver, whereas the attachment triad almost kind of idolizes them. They're like, yeah, oh my so goodness, true. like you're so wonderful. And I must be not doing something good enough to get whatever you can so offer. So let me, me shift course. Right. And I think that's interesting because that's so subconscious and that's happening so mm-hmm. young. You know, like these are childhood wounds. Um, that it doesn't mean that the attachment types are always blaming themselves in life. Yeah. You know, a three might blame others, a six might blame others. But it does create this idea of ada- adaptation. That like mm-hmm. no matter what's going on, I have to adapt myself and my agenda and my plans to get what I am actually vying for. Which is why the three sixes and nines are always specifically adapting the very core that they're dominant in. Exactly. So like the three is adapting their emotions yeah. to charm and win others over. You know, they might, they might be adapting that heart presentation mm-hmm. and take on this really charming, warm presence or when necessary, a really like dominant and aggressive attitude. But for the six, they're trying to do, you mm-hmm. know, so they're adapting their mind. And I think like there's, there's a really significant loved one in my life, one of my dearest friends from high school who's such a six and a lover to death, but like she doesn't trust her own mind so much so that as a present oriented type, mm, a dependent yeah. type, she's very easily swayed because she's also an attachment type Yeah. by the, by the agendas of others. So like she didn't know where to go, go to college, asked a friend and said, oh, here's where I went to college, you should go there. And she went to college there. You know, mm. there, 
there were these choices that were made because she didn't trust her own mind. So she had to make the fake mind to receive constant support in that fake mind. And so there is this idea, there's this hidden idea that the six's mind that's been wounded, that, that lack of support that they had, maybe they actually are intuitive and smart enough and, and have their own set of agendas and goals that really would help them. Hmm. And there's this secret part of them that's aware of that. And that's yeah. the true mind. But that's where the wound is and they've shoved it in a closet to, and busied it with all these tasks and have instead taken up this fake mind. Hmm. And so the idea is I could reach for that true mind, but what if it's not there? I've never seen it. Or what if it is wrong? Like what if it fails me in the end? Yeah, what if it fails me, but, but it's not because it's disappointment, like the frustration mm, types, yeah. but because they've never actually seen it. Hmm. Because as soon as that wound happened, to stay dominant in that center, they had to make the fake one immediately. They oh, had wow. to make that fake yeah. mind. So they don't even know if that real mind still exists. Mm. It's been that real sense of agenda and that true sense of yearning and what I actually want, my own sense of true guidance, is so far removed, I don't know if it would be there if I went to reach for it. But I think even more so than just what I want, it's they secretly, what they want is for someone to support them. Well, that's what, that's what it's replaced, you know? Right. That want for support has replaced the true agenda, the true plan mm. that they had. So let's go on to the nine and see how this folds into it all. Yeah, so the nine being withdrawn is body repressed. And just like the four and the five, they have an issue with both of these caregivers. Um, but where the frustration response in the four makes them sort of pissy and irritable right. <laughs> at, at both caregivers and the rejection response from the five makes them sort of cold and like detached. The nine as an attachment type is attaching to both functions. They're staying latched on mm. to both the nurturing function and the protective function no matter the cost. And mm -hmm. that might sound comfortable because it's sort of like, oh yeah, I always have what I need. I'm being supported and loved at all times. And I think that's why people love nines because nines are constantly adapting themselves to get the response from you that they want. And it doesn't look manipulative. It doesn't look tricky. Mm. Um, but it does cost them everything. They have lost sense of their true body. So they're doing with the real body um, all those little tasks that don't matter and have taken up this, this false sense of being with the fake body. So to stay body dominant, this fake body has to take priority and they have to receive that nurture and guidance Mm -hmm. at the same time from others and keep adapting. And I think this is really interesting and it makes the nine almost the saddest. Um, that's my own bias, of course, but like because they have to adapt to both functions, there's, the no, there's no space where they can differentiate from the world. You know, the six is adapting to receive support, but they're not adapting to receive nurture. Mm. So there is a space where they can assert themselves. And for the three, they're adapting to receive nurture, but not to receive support. So there's a space where they can assert themselves that isn't wounded. But for the nine, because the wound is in both places, there is no space where they're allowed to differentiate their own agendas or their own identity because it might detach them. And that's the thing with all these attachment mm. types is that they are changing their own course of behavior and existence because the greatest fear is I won't have what I need. So to stay with what I need, I'm gonna keep changing. Right. And I think that's what makes the attachment types so interesting because they all have this sense of actually having what they need. Even sixes who look so worried and, and frightened all the time, they're asking for support all the time, you know? Mm. So they do have plans being given to them and, oh, you should, you should do this with your life. You should do this with your life. Um, they all have this sense of what they need because they've stayed attached to it. Mm. But the cost is their true identity. Right. Their cost is their true sense of self, which has been sacrificed 
in order to stay comfortable, really. There's this sense of comfort for all three of them that I've stuck with what I wanted, and they're very concerned about the, those practical comforts in a way. Um, but I think that makes that identity crisis happen much later in life because they've been existing and adapting without realize that, realizing that they're adapting. Because those fake centers, the fake heart, the fake mind, the fake body, is what goes to present a true identity. That's what they're faking themselves and everyone else into thinking, oh, that's actually who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, the three's fake heart is what they're presenting as the self. And the six's fake mind is what they're presenting as the self. Is it weird that mm, the analogy that comes to mind is almost Stockholm Syndrome? It's yeah, like, no, I think that's great. They're like, I'm the one imprisoned, being forced to do whatever you've placed me in. So but I'll yet, win you over. But yet I kind of idealize you. And I'm like, I want to become that thing. I, like, that you would love. Yeah. And that you would guide and protect. And not even to get out, but to just... It, to, to numb the wound. Right. Exactly. There's this, there's this sense of a wound still, but by staying attached to it, they can then avoid blaming anyone, really. Yeah, they can avoid even thinking that they're in prison, and then they can just think, I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm, I'm supported, I'm, I'm loved. I have what I need. I'm yeah. desired, like all of these things. And I was noting this, noticing this trend that all three of them, like three sixes and nines in a practical way in life, actually seem to really like go places and do yeah. well in life because they have learned this pattern of shift my behavior. Hmm. And the rejection and frustration types, by contrast, are kind of like bucking, you know, like they're the horse bucking the rider off. And the rider it's doesn't like violent. Being, yeah, it's very violent. And the rider doesn't like being thrown off. So even, I think people think of sixes as sort of like these chaotic types, which they can be as they're yearning for a lack of chaos, mm. ironically. Um, but even then, threes, sixes, and nines are so willing to do the practical things they need to do to stay mm. attached that they can handle life in a way that like gets them ahead almost. Gets them, gets them in good favor with the world. Because they're willing and able. To adapt, really. yeah. willing and able to adapt. Uh, whereas, whereas the rejection types are so extreme yeah. and making it really difficult to engage with them in one specific area or both for the five. Or the frustration types are like really bitter and like mm. angry that they've been failed. And that makes them sort of these idealists that are never happy with what's there. Yeah. But the three and the six and the nine staying attached, to stay attached, they have to convince themselves. They're settling for it. They're yeah. saying, I actually am happy with this, mm -hmm. even though it's faked. Right. This is enough for me. And eventually, when they grow up and they realize they've been playing this faking game for a whole long time, they're like, is it actually enough? Mm. The neurosis will keep saying yes, but the true human might realize that it's not. I think about some of the attachment triad types that I personally know and like the practical difficulties they've, they come to having because they're so used to adapting. Hmm. You know, because we think, isn't adapting a wonderful gift like isn't that a great thing to be to able be to adaptable. do yeah yeah and and to your point that's why they can get ahead in life is because they're so willing and able to switch and you know take on the medial tasks that no one does and that's the busying of the true self you know right that's the distraction from the wound but i think about you know the threes i know and their problems because they've adapted so much in different situations they're terrified that all of their friends would meet each other because they've been different people with different groups. Exactly. It's like if they all combined, which role would I play right. to stay attached? Exactly. And in the same sense, you see with the six, there's this idea of like, like my friend that I was mentioning earlier, let's say you're looking to go to college and you're asking all of the support systems that you've been attached to for years, yeah. where should I go to college? If they all tell you different answers, you still have to choose a place to go to college. 
But that's too stressful. Exactly, because choosing one of them is, is defining and detaching from mm. the advice and support of all the rest of them, which is almost like saying, I don't need your support, Right. which the six doesn't want to express because they do really feel they need that support. Yeah. So there is, even, even though sixes can be kind of irritable and like all over the place, there really is this like people-pleasing tactic with the mm -hmm. six. Even though it doesn't look that way all the time, there's this, there's this, I have to assuage and um, meet the expectations of those who are supporting and guiding me so they don't let go of me. Mm. And the cost is too great. And that's why you see with the nine, they have that greatest issue with any sense of detachment. And that's why they're terrified of conflict. Yeah. Because any conflict, any sort of disruption in the world feels like they're being detached from either that supportive care or that nurturing care. But then what ends up happening is because they're adapting not only to get support and to get nurture, they end up being run over by everyone. They exactly. end up being kind of a pushover. Because there's no space where they're allowed to assert themselves. And they're more comfortable like that. Like they're okay with. Because they've settled. Right. They have settled. And that's what's so interesting. Like I just can't imagine being an attachment type. Like it, it, is, it is kind of intuitive, but also counterintuitive. Like it mm -hmm. makes sense that you would adapt yourself because it's the least violent early on as a child. You know, like mm -hmm. the frustration types have the most violent expression because they drop that that love or that mm -hmm. support really early. For the caregiver, which is... Yeah, because they're disappointed. And mm -hmm. so they're like, I'll hit, take care of it myself. And that's kind of a lonely road, if you think about it. And that's why they're never satisfied because sevens, ones, and fours are all reaching for this ideal that they didn't get. And, and that makes them almost like constantly hungry or like there's always an itch that they can't scratch. And for the rejection types, it's also violent, not quite as like sorrowful as the frustration types but it is it's violent and they are forced to differentiate quickly as well because they're removing part of themselves that has a need mm. that's been wounded but for the attachment types they're not removing the part that's been wounded they're over identifying with it yeah and therefore mimicking it they're mimicking that expression which is why the three is very heart-centered even mm. though they, they aren't personally emotional because that true heart's been thrown away right they can appear um, emotionally how they think they should and sixes can appear practically and, and planning wise how they should and the nine can plan and appear emotionally both of them at the same time you get yeah and i think it's really important to note um how there's a distinct similarity and vast difference yeah. between the response to the wound for the rejection and attachment types mm -hmm. so we look at at the rejection types and two and eight especially are i think are the best illustration because there's only one wound there that's forming the ego mm -hmm. um whereas the five is dealing with both but it's sort of like for the two, that wound with that protective caregiver, they're turning away. They're just turning away from that whole idea of needing support, guidance, and protection. Not to look at it. And, and moving, running back to mommy, running back mm -hmm. to the nurturing caregiver and latching onto her and just sort of sticking there and forming the whole identity around that space. And the eight, likewise, is doing the opposite, running away from mommy and going to be daddy's boy and like doing all mm -hmm. the tough things and, and playing and, and going after my own goals. So there's like this there's this turning away and running away from the wound, I think, mm -hmm. and that's how they're denying it and severing themselves from that part that's wounded. But the attachment types, by contrast, like the three, for example, to stay heart dominant after being wounded by the nurturing caregiver, they have to move so close to mommy. They have to move so close to that sense of feeling seen that they can't even see it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like if I'm right up against her, then I won't even feel or, or see the fact that she stabbed me, you know? Wow, yeah. And in the same sense, the six is like latching so tightly onto that sense of support and care and, and guidance from that father figure that they can't even see that they were wounded. Which 
so obviously connects back to what we were talking about. So the rejection type says, that's your fault. I'm leaving you to your like problems. I, I would challenge that because I think the rejection type is also blaming themselves in a way, saying, you didn't see me. Like the eight says, you didn't see me and you were right not to see me. So I'm going to pretend that I never needed to be seen. Mm. And the two says, you didn't support me and you were right not to support me because I never wanted support. Mm. So it's, it's, it is kind so of blaming both, both blame of them. Themselves. Yeah, yeah, I think so in a way. Not in, That's I, so interesting. And yet what's funny is that I think the rejection types especially, a theme I've noticed is that in life, twos, eights, and fives are almost always blaming others. You'll get a lot of twos who blame themselves outwardly. They'll be like, oh, it's my fault, it's my fault to try and people please. Yeah, but but at the end of the day, the issue is pride. You mm -hmm. know, that sin is pride, that idea that my love is so superhuman, my love is so profound, my nurture is so great to give that if you reject it, you're wrong. Actually, mm -hmm. if you reject my superhuman nurturing love, you're wrong. And because they've so identified with that nurturing function that, that it's essentially like it can't be challenged. That's the idea of the ego, that like you can't challenge my nurturing love because that's all I am. And yeah. if you challenge that, what's left? Because I've already been wounded in that protective space. And vice versa for the eight, they're so protective that if you were to challenge their protection and their guidance and their, like that, that love of protecting the, the underdog, you know, if you were to challenge that, it would be a huge threat. So there really is this sense of like, I'm gonna blame you if you attack my ego at all, this huge thing that I've like absorbed myself into. I'm standing on one leg, you know? Mm. But, but the wound, you go back to the wound, and there actually is this sense of self-blame. And there is this sense of, um, like it was my fault that I was rejected for, for needing support for the two. So mm -hmm. I removed that part of myself. Yeah, I just think it's interesting to see how that contrasts with the attachment types, that there really is this sense of the attachment type just moving closer and creating the fake heart for the three or the fake mind for the six to that energy. And obviously, like, it doesn't mean if you're a three, you're actually really that attached to your mom. You might be. Maybe mm. that's the way your neurotic cycle has learned to attach to that feeling of being seen. Um, but I know plenty of sixes who have huge issues with their dads. You know, my dad, for example, is an incredibly all over the place six, but hated his dad, and yet he spent all of his life trying to win his support and the support of others around him. Mm. And that's, that's really that idea that I'll get so close and stay attached and hug that caregiver so that I don't have to see the fact that that's where I, I feel wounded by them. Mm. I'll leave my true heart or my true head or my, or my true body behind. So we've been talking a lot about like these reactions to wounds, but I think we need to take a step back and even talk about wounds themselves because people are probably out there like you've already said, you know, you don't have to have like very specific trauma, although some people do. And that's been wild to yeah. to see as I've been learning about this. Uh, but so what are these wounds that we're talking about? You know, I think a big thing is that wounds don't have to be from a necessarily a parental figure or a caregiver that did something to you, that they can actually be uh, someone who wasn't there. It might be what they didn't do. Yeah. And, and to go off of that, I actually was just learning this story recently. Um, there was this teacher that I have who was a pastor for a time and mm -hmm. he was in charge of this church uh, but he had this nemesis who was constantly like trying to, to foil his <laughs> successful leading of the church which was really kind of frustrating for um, my teacher but basically what was going on is there was this eighth neurosis running wild in this nemesis man mm -hmm. who was trying to ruin the pastor's career um, and later on, after the death of the nemesis, the pastor was at the funeral, and the wife of this guy, who had been like ruining his career or attempting to, apologized for him being so horrible and so domineering and controlling and like 
nasty. And he just like really looked like that center of lust. Mm -hmm. Like I have to have control and power over everything here. Mm -hmm. um, and she expressed, um, the wife of this guy expressed to my professor that um, when he, the nemesis, was like a little boy, he was like five years old. It's like back in the 30s, there's this like really wobbly car that they're driving in. Um, and they're on the highway and it's this little boy and his sister and his mom and this log truck in front of them. Mm. One of the logs gets dis dislodged and it comes out of the truck and rams through the windshield of their car. And the mother's head is taken off. Like she's driving mm. and her head is taken off and her head lands in the little boy's lap. And it's like so gruesome and horrible to think about. Right. But that is essentially that nurturing wound. That moment right there was a loss of that nurturing caregiver. So it's not that the mom actually failed him, but she was suddenly gone. So what was the rejection response there? It right. was a, oh, I actually never needed nurture. I can carry on in the world and exist and ignore that great wound that I never was nurtured. Right, because to, f to remember that you do want nurture and yet it's connected to this horrific memory that my, my caregiver, exactly. my nurturing caregiver was taken from me. So it's better to rip my heart out and feel yeah. like I never needed to be nurtured or, or cared for. And that is really, like like you said, like that wasn't like she did, any, did anything wrong, right. but she was absent. And even that wasn't her fault, you know? Yeah. She just wasn't there, she was dead. Right, and so for a lot of you, you might be listening through this and being like, well, you know, my parent wasn't necessarily abusive or, you know, they didn't leave me when I was little or something like that. But um, there's a wide range of wounds. Or, or perceived wounds. There yeah. are so many things that could occur where you as a child that you don't remember subconsciously perceived that lack yeah. of care or guidance. That's so a great point. We talked about how the eight and a two, you know, not being able to receive this thing that they're rejecting, right? Whether it's yeah. nurture or support. Where else do we see that? Are these wounds ever projected? Like for the two that rejects this need for support. This need for support, and they over-identify with the nurture. Later in life, say they um, get into a romantic relationship with someone who's very supportive and protective. Do they project this wound onto them? I think it depends, because at the end of the day, they do have need for support and guidance. They right. do. They just don't know how to ask for it, mm -hmm. because they've told themselves they don't need it. So like, they're still human, and they do still need it. And if that person is so supportive and protective, it might actually be something that's easy and allows them to keep on living in this over-nurturing function hmm. because they're going to receive that support that they actually do need. Without having to ask for it. Without having to ask for it. But also, it could go really poorly because maybe they're receiving support and that's a threat to the ego because that hmm. to receive the support would force them to acknowledge that they need it. That I need it. And yeah. then they have to go back to the wound. Mm -hmm. That I was walking toward that food and I was not cheered on. Yeah. Do we see that anywhere else? Yeah, I mean, you could argue anywhere. The three, for example, staying attached to that nurture, you know, mm -hmm. to exist in relationship or to exist in a community or whatever, where they're not constantly the center of attention will feel like a threat to the ego because mm -hmm. everything's about being seen. And these neuroses are sometimes insatiable. Even if you are receiving, you know, support or nurture or whatever, if your wound is telling you that I'm lacking this or I don't have this. Maybe enough is, will never be enough because hmm. it's always driving this idea that I need more, I need more support. I think about some of the sixes I know and they don't just ask one or two people for advice. They ask 70. They ask 70, <laughs> right. Um, twos don't just ask one person to hang out. 
they want to nurture a thousand. Right. They want to they want to nurture everyone. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. We don't know how to stop doing them. Right. To exist as humans who are learning these cycles. Every neurosis is a coping mechanism that we think will work. Mm -hmm. Our psyche is convinced this will do it. This will undo whatever wound I felt. Right. And it doesn't work. It actually doesn't. And that's why we have problems. The wounds are deep. The wounds are deep. And it you're right. Like it doesn't it doesn't always have an easy solution and an easy fix. Mm. But like I didn't realize I was a two for so long. But I think if I had known object relations, I, I would have gotten it. You yeah. know, like, not to be too overly vulnerable or whatever, but <laughs> I just think about my childhood and there was this, there was this like very tumultuous relationship with my dad. And it was like, I never wanted to be at home and it was just very, I just felt unsupported and I didn't feel um, cheered on for sure. But I didn't mm. think of it in those terms, you know. Mm -hmm. But I remember this idea in high school before our relationship was repaired, like thank God that he and I are friends now, we love each other and I like do want his support. But in high school I just had this sense that like, oh, he's failing me? Well, I don't need to really acknowledge that. There was this like idea of like, yeah, he's rejected me but I'm not gonna take it personally. Mm. It's sort of like, I'll just deny that need. You know, I was denying the need for a father. Um, and so for me, I think that neurosis formation, it's not actually my dad's fault necessarily, but there was definitely a key f point there. You know, and that, that sense of not being wanted for the two definitely comes from that idea that I wasn't being cheered on. Why wasn't I being cheered on? You know? Right. Because I'm not, I'm not desirable. Mm -hmm. I'm not worthy of that support. So after all of this is covered, which, by the way, guys, you made it. Congrats. Yeah. You, you listened through all this. We listened to this, by the way, because mm -hmm. Jack has had to explain this to me several times before I, like, really understood it. And even as I was listening to it, you kind of have this, I at least had this kind of skepticism about it. You're like, well, you know, how are you able to do that? But but genuinely, like, as you're thinking about it. I think it should illustrate, yeah, yeah how definitely. real it is, it, how real these wounds are. Like, even if they're not actual wounds, our egos perceive them. And I think there is a vulnerable part of ourselves, even like for us rejection types, you yeah. know, like there's always a vulnerable part of ourselves that can acknowledge it. Um, and I think this is so helpful to learn these wounds and, and understand them. So, like, I challenge you this is such a helpful tool. Like, become aware of what these wounds are, mm. study them, understand what's going on here, because it changes the way we relate to each other because of those dominant affects. And ultimately, it also helps show the differences between the types, you know? It, it helps us illustrate the differences between the aggressive types. You know, look at the three and the seven and the eight. They're all dealing with that nurturing wound in completely different ways, completely different ways. And so even though you might feel similarity to two types or, or feel like, oh yeah, I, I get this and I get this. I see both of those in me. There's only one real wound where the ego's forming. You know, there's only one central issue that's creating neurosis. And I think object relations is a really helpful thing for understanding your type and figuring it out. So again, if you have questions, if you have comments, if you want to understand more about this, feel free to email us. I mean, we have just started out. We have nothing going on. So like, yeah. if you want to hop in there, have some comments, go for it. We will gladly answer. And that is at notmytypeenneagram at gmail.com. That's also our handle on Instagram, notmytypeenneagram. Yeah, look us up. Send us a message. Thanks for joining us today, guys. A lot of fun. Yeah, we'll see you later, guys. <laughs> Yo! What? <laughs> Yo! <laughs> Sounds like you're crumbling. Sounds like, Yo!